Those of you who haven't gone on holiday, in fact, just right now, I'm just going to pray. Father, I thank you that you give us time to rest and recuperate. And I pray for the families that, Lord, today really need, and just are feeling overwhelmed already at the beginning of the year, and they need to take a break. I pray that you'd strengthen them. I pray that, Lord, you'd strengthen their families. I pray that you'd strengthen their marriages. And that, Lord, they may come back next week refreshed and ready to start a brand new season, especially in you. And you already said, Amen. God bless you. It's good to see you. If you'd like to take out your outlines, today we're in part four of a series. I'm talking to quite a lot of you here today. Those of you who are type A personalities, workaholics. Ten values that build a strong family. Now, question. Do you ever get tired just thinking about what you've got to do? Anybody like that? Yep. How about, do you find yourself as tired on Monday morning as you were on Friday afternoon? (laughs) Yep, I see a few smirks around this place. How about how many of you, this is a really important question, how many of you bring work home because you can't get it all done at work? Not looking at anybody in particular. (laughs) Yeah. How many of you feel guilty when you relax? Yeah. Today, what does God have to say about the fourth commandment? What is that? It's about taking a day off. Now, would you agree that workaholism negatively impacts families? Would you agree that in principle? Absolutely. Nobody would dispute that. Now, this, folks, remember, this is not a suggestion. This is a commandment. Let's take a look at it. You'll find it in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 8. And I would encourage you to take your Bible out and follow along. If you haven't got your Bible, it's on the screen. Let's read this together. Observe the Sabbath and keep it holy. Whoa, you're not on holiday, you're at work. Let's read it together. Observe the Sabbath and keep it. You have in which to do your, but on the, is a day of, dedicated to, on that day, Whoa, have you ever read this before or is this news? (laughs) God says right there, every seven days, take a rest. And by the way, Sabbath means rest. Did you know that? Sabbath means rest. Now Jesus said, why? Why? What did he say? Every seven days, take a break. Why does he say that? Jesus is speaking, and he says this, the Sabbath was made to benefit man. This is a blessing. This is a gift to you. A day off work, yee-haw. Not man to benefit the Sabbath. It was designed as a gift, and God knows, because he's your maker, that you and I need a rest. Now, if we don't think that, we're saying, well, actually... I know better than God. That's a pretty audacious thing to even attempt to say. He says, you need to do this. Now the purpose of the Sabbath is to protect you physically, emotionally, and relationally. 
three areas why God said that. To recharge physically, to recharge emotionally, and to recharge spiritually. Because guess what? Our batteries run down. And if you, have, like me, have egregiously sinned against this command, and sometimes worked 18 days straight, life starts to become just a blur and blur. You don't feel anything. You just go through the motions. Now the problem is, though, we have either ignored it on the one hand, or we've perverted this command on the other hand by adding in millions of ridiculous legalistic mm, uh, commands onto this. We've turned a blessing, which God intended to be a blessing, into a burden. We would become ridiculous, like the scribes. The scribes were so legalistic, they had something like 1,521 things you could not do on the Sabbath. And they wrote all those down. Hopefully not on the Sabbath. <laughs> you weren't allowed to prepare a meal, for example. You weren't allowed to move a lamp even from one part to the other, to light a fire. You couldn't travel more than 3,000 meters from your home. And if you go to Israel today, they actually have on the Sabbath, or what they call it Shabbat, they have Shabbat elevators, which means you don't have to do the work of even pushing a button to which floor you go to, because it stops on every single floor. It does. That's exactly what it is. So, okay, so God says, have a Sabbath, right? Now, when? He's clear in that verse, very clear. What does the scripture say? Once a week. God doesn't mind the day as long as you do it. Now, there's not one place in the Bible that you are commanded to worship on a Sunday. Not commanded to worship on a Sunday. In fact, when Christianity started off, the Jews traditionally and for thousands of years had worshipped on a Saturday. Exactly. But the New Testament comes along, Jesus comes along, and the, they took their Jewish Saturday and their Sabbath and began to do it on Sunday. Why? To honour the resurrection of Christ. They said, whoa, he rose on Sunday, forget all our tradition, this is the day we're going to remember this. And in Revelation, John calls the Sabbath the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day. You'll see that also in Revelation 1.10. And so began the, Christ, uh, the custom of Christians worshipping on Sunday. Actually, um, the Paul the Apostle in Colossians 2.16 says, don't, please don't be legalistic about the day that you have your Sabbath, because in Colossians 2.16, it says, Therefore, let no one act as your judge in respect to a Sabbath day. You're free to choose, but just have one. Some people, like my wife, have had to work sometimes on a Sunday because she's a nurse. So she takes another day off. You're free to choose. Also, look at this in Romans 14.54. Every day alike belongs to God. In other words, he created them all. On the questions of this kind, one must decide for himself. If you have special days for worshipping the Lord, you're trying to honour him. The principle is more important than the day you select. So the principle is choose one day to, to rest, to recharge, and to refocus yourself spiritually, physically, and emotionally. Now, do you think that having one day off regularly will be good for your family. Absolutely. In fact, some of you are too young to remember this. In New Zealand, in Howick, let's make it personal, in Howick, late night was Thursday. 
And then there was a Friday in some place like Pacaranga. Woo. And then on Saturday, there was no shopping. Sunday, everything was shut. So how did people do it? People still had to buy groceries, but they all got it done in the week. So the weekend was completely free. Interesting, isn't it? We still all had to eat. We still all had to vacuum. In fact, in our house, on Thursday nights, my mother made us clean the house every Thursday night. And her mentality was, Thursday night said, why, mum? Because that way you got the weekend to play and be free. And we're not bound to housework and lawns and all this other rubbish. That was good. Work hard, and then you can play, which is great. So, he, then he says, keep it holy. What does holy mean? It means set apart. It means the Sabbath needs to be different. It needs to look and feel different on the seventh day. In other words, he's saying, Denver, have a change of pace on the Sabbath. That's what it means. Have a change of pace. Now, how do I keep it holy? By using it the way that he intended it. Okay, how do I keep it holy? Number one. Use the day to rest my body. Use the day to rest my body. That is part of this deal here of observing a Sabbath. The Bible says here, further evidence of this, Psalm 127 verse 2. The Bible says God wants his loved ones, those who love him, and he loves to get their proper rest. God wants his servants to get rest. Remember, Sabbath means rest. It means rest. It's so important, interestingly this, that God himself set himself up as an example. You see, after God had created the heavens and the earth, on the seventh day, he rested. He wasn't tired He doesn't get tired. But to model for us every seven days, he rested from his creative work. So, my friends, for some of you sitting there, this is the biblical reason for a Sunday afternoon schnooze. (laughs) So now we'll close in prayer. I'm teasing. (laughs) Some of you are ready. Today, friends, we have more labor-saving devices than we've ever had before. But have you noticed how people seem to be working longer and commuting harder and further? In fact, I was just reading this week in Inc. Magazine, which is a magazine I read quite often, they were saying that 62% of people have said right now they're either burned out or they're on the way to burn out. 62%. Here's the deal. You can have so many irons in the fire that you actually put the fire out. And life becomes bland and very, to be frank, you're just going through the motions. Can you be consumed by your career? Absolutely you can. Or your business, sure you can. With the lure of promotion or more money or greater status or some greater sense of achievement, can addict you to work. But friends, the Bible clearly says that bodies are not meant for non-stop work. Look at this. The Bible's really clear about this. Ecclesiastes 10.15. The Bible says this. Only someone too stupid to find his way home would wear himself out with work. 
So if you're wearing yourself out with work, the Bible says you're not being particularly wise here. You're being stupid. You're thinking you know better than God. So whatever you do for a living, stop it one day a week. And be careful because bosses can sometimes push you and push the boundaries too far. You need to draw boundaries. And we think we get more done by keeping driving harder and harder. But actually, efficiency experts tell us that's not the case. They believe that space periods of rest increase productivity compared to the person who works constantly and continually. There's an old Indian proverb that says that you'll break the bow if it's always bent. It needs to get time to spring back. Now, some of you in this room who are type A personalities say, but, 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 Pastor Ian, I feel guilty when I relax. Friends, I accept that. But I want to align your head, not around what you think or feel, but what, what Jesus did. Jesus never felt guilty. And he's the son of God about taking time away, taking a break. Jesus took a day off, and he got more done in three years than most of us will ever get done in a lifetime. Three years is all he had in it. Now, I've noticed that children, when I had children, my children, and maybe some of yours too, don't like to go to bed and rest. Maybe, did you notice that? There's always an excuse. Oh, I want a drink of water. Ah, da, da, da. Another story, whatever it may be. But when they protest, it's often a sign of immaturity. And every wise parent in this room knows that if there's no rest, those kids will be very soon unfit to live with. Right? First, rest will take care of your physical fatigue, but that's not all you do. Rest will not take care of your emotional fatigue. You can sleep and rest your body. You should do that. And still go back to work on Monday morning emotionally drained with no zest and enthusiasm for life. See, remember the word enthusiasm, enthuse, in theos is where it comes from, in God. The more in God you are, the more enthusiastic you'll be for life. So that's why God says not only do you rest your body, but you need to do two other things on the Sabbath than to just rest physically. Two other things. Number number two, God also wants me to use the Sabbath to recharge my emotions. It's important. To recharge my emotions. To rest my body to recharge my emotions. See, work and life stress drains the living daylights out of you. And Kiwis are increasingly hurried and busy. How was your week? What's the typical answer? Busy. Try, Try to expunge that word from your vocabulary. It's not helpful. We all need regular doses of inspiration and encouragement. I saw that. Somebody was jabbing somebody there. How do I recharge my emotions? Well, it depends on who you are, but there are three universals that you need to build in to your Sabbath. Number one, include, and we sung about this today, a time of quietness. Include a time of quietness. It's very rare to find stillness and quietness. This is an old discipline of of, of Christians for many years back, but we've lost it today. It's a discipline of solitude. I want you to read with me this next verse straight out of Psalm 23, a beloved psalm. Let's read it. 
He leads me beside waters. He Okay, I want you to circle both of those words, quiet and restores. And I want you to draw a, a line between the two. Quietness and soul restoration go together. But it's difficult, and people often feel awkward around songs. Look, you get into an elevator these days, and there's somebody chirping in your ear, some, ele- some elevator music that you get at the supermarket. There's music there, nothing wrong with music, but sometimes we just need quietness. The Bible says this too in Psalm 46, Be still and know that I am God. Not you. I am God. God is God and you are not. Here's another verse which is I came across again. I was reading this week in Isaiah 30 verse 15. I'll just pick up from about halfway through. In returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. Notice this last part. <laughs> but you are unwilling. Are you willing to do it God's way? Or are you like a, taking a dog walk and always pulling out the collar trying to get to the next thing? You need to schedule quiet periods in your life. And God says part of your Sabbath needs to include a quiet time with me. Many people use the weekend to relax and to have recreation. And that's a good thing to do. But they never have any quiet. And they don't know why they're still feeling stressed when they go back to work and their spiritual focus hasn't come, become any sharper. I remember reading a, of a tour guide who had taken a missionary into the jungle. And it's recorded that the guy said this, we're going to rest today so that our souls can catch up with our bodies. Have you ever felt that way? You're speeding down through life. So you need to stop. So your emotions and, your, and the velocity of your life can sort of like collide. You need periods of quietness. Notice this principle was modeled by Jesus himself. This is important. What the master did, what's good for the goose is good for the gander here. This is what he did. Mark 6. There were so many people coming and going. Jesus said to his disciples, let us go off by ourselves where we will be alone and you can rest a while. Now if that's good enough for Jesus, it should be good enough for us. The second way you recharge is to include time for your family. Plan special times with your family. They don't have to cost money. Take a picnic. Do something. Men, 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 men. Not the ladies, men. This next verse, Ecclesiastes 9.9. Would you read this with me? Enjoy life with your wife. Okay, we've got two men in here. Let's try the game. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love. And the lady said, amen, yeah. Look at this verse. A relaxed attitude. 
lengthens a man's life. We're so uptight. In fact, there's a whole bunch of medical research there that stress is correlated to a, a large number of cancers. Stress. But the Bible says a relaxed attitude lengthens a man's life. Here's another verse. Being cheerful keeps you healthy. It's a slow death to be gloomy all the time. Mm. At New Hope, we try and encourage you, and we are committed to strengthening your family. So, one practical action you can take from this today is talk with your wife and play with your kids. Or, if the mood's all right, play with your wife and talk with the kids. (laughs) Whatever works. Take some action on this. What are you going to do as a result of this message? Because this is God's word to you. Number three, include time for fellowship with other believers. Include time for fellowship. Fellowship is like two fellows on one ship. We're in the same boat together. You need time alone with God, which is a quietness. But you also need time with your family, And you need time with other believers. Why? Because we draw strength and encouragement with one another. Look at this verse here. Let us not give up the habit of meeting together. Let us instead encourage one another. Now New Hope encourages us because we don't have a Sunday night service. Why don't you use that time? You know that when when I was a, a teenager, we used to go to church twice a day. Sunday morning, Sunday night. But we've, what we want to encourage you to do is, rather than use that time at night just coming to church, why don't you use that time to spend with other believers or invite unbelievers into your home? There's only two possibilities, believers or unbelievers. But have some time. Use that time to get together so we can encourage one another. There's a rejuvenation that occurs when we get together with other believers. Now, often I've heard throughout my life that, you know, last Sunday, Pastor, I was so tired and I had so much other stuff to do. I nearly didn't come to church, but I came and boy, was I glad because God's word and his worship together as a family encouraged me. When we gather with other believers, it's encouraging. See, the Bible says this in Psalm 122. I was glad when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord. I was glad. Not sad, not mad. I was glad. This is good. And in the New Testament, Christians did a lot of this. They ate with one another. And I feel today with a constant push for more and the constant rush and the fatigue that sits in, people have lost the art of hospitality, except for some particular groups who seem to have that as a core value. And I applaud that. One of my friends has just started a ministry in, in the States where my son goes to church there, and it's called Good Food, Good Company Ministry. Good Food, Good Company. And once a, uh, once a month, they just have a meal and fun time, and it's emotionally recharging. And it's become such a great place because that doesn't happen these days and it's not a big deal they go to different people's places each month and they all bring a bit of a potluck and it's just great to hang out and do life together now the third way we use this day we rest our bodies we recharge our emotions and number three this is very important we refocus our spirits on God we refocus our heart mind and spirit on God 
See, we can rest our body and have some good fellowship, but if we don't refocus our mind and spirits on God, it's a problem. The Bible says this in Psalm 95, Come, let us bow down and worship before the Lord our Maker. So we worship the Lord our Maker, and worship is one of the purposes of New Hope Community Church. So Sunday is a day to recalibrate, to refocus And that's what worship really does, to recalibrate and refocus our hearts and our minds on Jesus, what's really important in our lives. But in New Zealand, I've observed that Sunday has become fun day. And a holy day has become a holiday. And people don't worship God on a Sunday. They worship, when the weather's good, the sun. And then they go down to the beach for a ceremonial baptism in the water. And then they anoint themselves with baby boat oil. (laughs) And then they lay prostrate before the sun god. (laughs) Folks, there's nothing wrong with that. But we need to keep it in perspective. There's a lot more to life than work and play. Mark 8, 36 says it here. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Obvious implication is nothing. Zip. Remember this. As a pastor, for me, I, I, I'm constantly reminded. Every time I do a funeral, I notice that every time that hearse departs, There's never a trailer attached to it with all their worldly goods. It's all gone. And most of the time it goes to people who've never earned it and don't really appreciate it. God wants you to ask every seven days, what am I exchanging my life for? So you won't think about that yourself during the week. But God's spirit will tug on your heart and says, what good is it for a man to exchange or to to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? So that's a question that you need and me need to ask. What did I give the last 168 hours or seven days in exchange for my life? Because I just gave it away. And I'll never get it back. So on the Sabbath, God wants you, through his word and his spirit, to stop and to re-examine your priorities. What am I exchanging my life for? He wants us to re-evaluate. Is this what you want, God? We hold up the standard. Not what everybody else is thinking. Because what we do is, here's how we evaluate. To evaluate, as you teachers know, you have to have a standard. You engineers know you have to have a rule, how we measure this. So the rule is, what does God say is important? And then we go, okay, God, you say this is important. Let me real clear about that. Got it? Now, how does my life measure up to this? Am I getting closer to your standard or drifting further apart from it? Is this a mile off the mark or is it getting closer? Are you happy with the direction? Are your priorities, do you want your priorities? Will you align your priorities to God's priorities and move them closer? 
He wants you to reevaluate. He wants you to relax. To tune into God and to listen to Him. To get clear what the standard is. To get your perspective right. Because you know what? Every part of this last week, you've been washed over with a message from the world that says, do this, come this way. Have you been more influenced by the word or the world? That's the question. God says, come to me to help get your perspective right. It's like a wheel alignment. I go in, I drive up to my place, I get my, all my four wheels aligned, I'm all good. Over time, though, these things get knocked out of balance because of just driving, going through life. And God says, come back to me. My standards never change. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then we refocus on God on the Sabbath. You need to do that every seven days. Where we say, I'm refocusing my spirit. Where I'm going to particularly worship God. And the first thing you ought to do is worship him before you get the other things done. It's by far the most important. Fathers, if you want an uber practical application of this. And aspiring fathers and fathers-to-be. A great example for spiritual leadership in your home is this. Simply this. Your faithfulness in worship. Do you model that at home? Do you model that when you go on vacation? My kids always say, Dad! I've gone on vacation somewhere, but we always went to church on vacation. Sometimes it's a little Anglican church with 12 people there. But you know what? I can go to a little Anglican church with 12 people, but if they have opened the word of God, and the music may not be be to my taste, but who cares? The music's not for me. Worship is for God. So what I do in that case, I focus. If I find myself in a situation, I focus on the words and try and say, I agree, I agree, I agree, I agree. And when it comes to the word of God, just one verse can inspire me because the Bible says man shall not live by bread alone, Matthew 4.4, 4, but by every word that proceeds from the word of God. And you get food from God, and I'm telling you this. Whoa, that was close. Put the mirror those out of the way. Matthew 4.4, 4, every uh, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the, uh, from the mouth of God. Now that you get food from God, it will sustain you for many days. It's not like the candy floss you get from this world that promises a lot and has got zero nutritional value. Dads, I've got a secret. You do not sit down at the dining room table and teach your kids, here are the values that your mum and I believe in. It's not like a lesson, like you teach geometry or mathematics or science. You teach values by modelling them yourselves. What you do, how you live your life, how important is God to you? Do you take a Sabbath? Do you share your insights with your wife? Because when they grow up, they'll say, well, that's what my dad did with my mum. That's normal. If dad was doing something different, and every time you say to your kids, well, we're not going to church today, we're going to the beach or we're tired today and we've got a whole bunch of gardening to do and maintenance we need to catch up on so we're not going to church. When you do that, if you choose to do that, you're not modeling that value. You're going the other direction. 
question when it comes to work. Is my work or my worship the most important thing in my life? Very challenging, that. So God says every seven days, I need to rest. I need to recharge my emotions. I need to refocus on God. Now, I've never bought one of these, but my friends who have tell me when you buy a new car, it has a maintenance schedule. And it says basically, do these things and your car will perform at maximum performance if you do the proper maintenance. And if that's true for a car, how much more so when we're reading the owner's manual, take a day every seven. It's true of human beings too. The owner's manual for your life is the Bible. And God says the maintenance schedule for every living is every seventh day, you slow down, you stop, you regroup, you spend time in worship. And you do the things that recharge you emotionally and physically. And if you do that, you'll be far more successful and you'll last far longer than any other way. Now, the lifestyle that Jesus offers you and me, he says, come to me. That lifestyle is not a difficult lifestyle. It's the most logical lifestyle because he knows how you are made. And he says, I have come that you may have life and life in all its fullness. Now, when you do it God's way, you benefit You benefit physically, you benefit emotionally, and you especially benefit spiritually. Now, when you don't follow God's principles and you don't have Christ as a center of your life calling the shots, one of the signs is that your priorities start to get out of whack. And another sign is that you become become chronically fatigued all the time. And I'm not talking about a physical ailment, but an emotional one and a spiritual fatigue. You add a balance. See, the Bible says this, the joy of the Lord is my strength. The more joyful you are in the Lord, the stronger you are inside. The way we think affects the way we feel, which will change your outlook, which affects the way we actually are. So what do I do when I'm that way? You come to Jesus. And you ask him to help you. And you say, take all these parts of my life that are loading me down and help me sort out what's really important, that standard, Lord, the way you'd have me live. Would you please give me the marching orders? Would you please be the manager of my life? And God says, yeah, come to me and I will give you rest. He says, if you're carrying a heavy burden today, you're carrying one that I don't intend you to carry. You're trying to be God. Let God be God. And you be you. Look at this invitation. Jesus says this. Come to me, all of you who are weary and overburdened, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy. It's light. So I want to challenge you to start taking this commandment seriously. It's not an option to say, well, I don't have time this week for God or for church, or for recreation, or for a day off, or to spend time with my family. You do this because your maker said the Sabbath was made for man. Would you pray with me? Jesus, 
I need to come to you. And would you give me the rest that you promised? I need your peace to replace my pressure and anxiety. I need your power to replace my fatigue. And Father, I need so much focus on your priorities to straighten out the areas of my life that are amiss and out of control. I want you to be first in my life. Therefore, I want to give you this first day of the week to you. Help me to be faithful, to use it to rest my body, to recharge my emotions, and to refocus on you, that I may live the life that you meant me to live. With all of our heads bowed, if you prayed that prayer, would you let me know about that by checking the box on the back of your card that says I'm committing my life or I'm recommitting my life to, to Christ, and I'll get you some information. Father, thank you for your commandments that they're for our benefit, and that we are blessed when we obey them and when we follow them to build strong families. In Jesus' name, amen.